Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey gang, Red Hills Rancher here with a special Thursday edition of Ranching Reboot. Mike Calicrate and I got on the phone to discuss a few current events, what's going on in the cattle market, and what everybody can do to start making things a little bit better. I'm flying solo today. It's just me and Mike. So here we go. How are you doing, Brian? I'm I'm doing great, Mike. So yeah. it's uh <laughs> what's on your mind today? I'm headed to Kansas. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to figure out whether I'm going to take a, a carcass truck or drive my vehicle. But man, it, it is it is pouring rain here. It is so different than what we normally experience. But at least we're going to start out with some green grass. Yeah, I've noticed that you guys have been getting some good rain up there in the last few days. So that, yeah. that's good. We're yeah. a little, be- we're just a touch behind down here, but uh, there's a lot of rain. Looks like coming in the forecast in the next few days. So it's storm week, I guess. Yeah. Good. Oh, oh man. Things are getting really wild. What, uh, what was it last week? The Packers averaged a thousand dollars profit ahead last week. Yeah, that's right. In uh, and the thing we overlook is in focusing so much on the meat packer profit, which is fairly easy to calculate is we're totally missing out on how much they're handing to the retailer and food service companies. I mean, this, this is the real power is not in the packers. It's in, it's in the big box retailers, you know, from Amazon to Walmart, to Kroger, uh, Safeway, you know, that Albertsons. And then, and of course, Cisco is a, is a, you know, the huge buyer of, of a lot of this beef and, and they've really got the power to push the packer down. Uh, on the price and then the packer just turns to the producer which is the course of least resistance and the easiest price to reduce and, and they just reduce it and, and we've never seen a bigger spread between what they're getting for beef and what they're paying for cattle but they just feel so confident that law enforcement isn't going to do anything to them or make them stop and we've given them reason to think that you know ever since the lawsuit I was involved in in 2004 against Tyson IBP was overturned by the judge and, and the Supreme court refused to hear it. That gave these meat packers the green light. It, it emboldened them to continue to just take more and more from that course of least resistance, which is the producer of livestock and, and just hand it off to the big retailer and, and that in their own profits. Uh, and, and so today the thing is completely out of control. None of the solutions anybody's talking about are even come close to working. I mean, the 50-14 rule is just a joke. It, it just delays the inevitable that we have to break them up. We have to take away their power. And we don't have that mentality right now in Congress and in law enforcement to go that far. 
even though we are far more concentrated today than we were during the robber baron era of 125 years ago when we when we broke them up the last time, along with Standard Oil and the railroads and the banks and you know the big meat packers were broken up, and we know how to do it. We've got a good formula for doing it, and we could we could save this cattle industry tomorrow if if we just had the leadership to do it. But so much of Congress, so many of those in our in our agencies in the United States uh, are beholden to the packer. And, 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 of course, and they drank the Kool-Aid. Absolutely. Well, they drank this globalization Kool-Aid, you know, that said we need big companies to do business globally. Uh, and that is simply not true. I mean, that, that's the, that is the recipe for, for the United States completely losing their food supply and ability to feed themselves, which we've already done. We're already a net, for, net food importer on a value basis, and we just continue to increase imports of all kinds of, you know, other things, uh, mainly beef, and uh, that honestly we just don't need if, if we would just enforce a few antitrust laws and, and stop these ridiculous imports of way below cost of production. Yeah, the made in the USA label, especially on food, it, it doesn't mean what it used to. That's right. You know, yeah, they can, right. they can import every ingredient in a box or in a package or in saran wrap and put it together in a factory here and freeze it and call it product of USA. And I think that's just utterly ridiculous. Well, if, if look at these state labels like the Colorado Proud label, which is supposed to encourage you, know, to, you, know, you to buy local. Canadian tomatoes come in uh, during the winter repacked their greenhouse uh, tomatoes they're 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 repacked in colorado and they're called color they get the colorado proud sticker so the, the the consumer is really being deceived they have no way of figuring this out they don't realize that beef crossing the border in the united states upon repackaging gets the you know product of the usa label they just can't figure it out it's gotten too complicated and they've also gotten very tired of having to read these labels and, and even though they're misleading and deceptive and outright fraudulent, you know, the consumer I think has just sort of given up and realized there's just not going to be any law enforcement. It's a free for all. The biggest cheater wins. And that's the, that's the economy we have today. So, but right now, you know, you ask me what I'm thinking about. I'm just thinking about how many cattle producers are going out of business right now. How many, how many fears, and, and boy, if it comes fall and this calf run starts, if this thing hasn't been fixed, if we haven't agreed on a solution by then, we are just going to have a whole wave of cattle producers go out of business. You just cannot survive on the on the crumbs that I mean, the after, packers are, are After are 18 us. months of meetings and, oh, we have to have all these triggers and these black swan events, we've had them. They've all happened. Yeah, and yeah you bet. And what is what well, are they and, still doing? They're just talking. And, Brian, and so and so these folks all meet in the uh, week ago Monday, and they're gonna they're gonna agree on something. I mean, these, these are groups that are that that really don't agree on anything much, uh, right. particularly policy around the cattle and beef industries. And we're talking about NCBA, Farm Bureau being on the side of the packers, and essentially everyone else from our calf to you know to U.S. cattlemen's and and so forth being on the the side of the producer. So we're going to meet in, in Phoenix, and we're all going to agree on a solution. Well, 
isn't it interesting that the very first thing that came up was we have to sign this confidentiality agreement. <laughs> well, is that the same? Is that, is that the same confidentiality <laughs> that that the, the that the price reporting has installed to keep us knowing uh, what the premium prices are being paid to these captive supply feedlots? I mean, it, it, and of course, it was met with you know, all right, we'll see you later. Or we don't have time for this BS. But that's what the NCBA was imposing on the group as they arrived in Phoenix. Is it's all got to be secret. Well, we've got to pull the curtain back and shine the bright light in, and we need to see every nook and corner and cranny of what's going on in this in this market, this broken marketplace. There's all kinds of bad things happening. I mean, there's 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 cost plus guarantees going out to certain feeders. You know, we've got the the, the Easter Day up in Washington State. Why didn't they have the same deal that Paul Engler and Cactus Feeders has that protects them from losing money on cattle? No, Tyson treated Easter Day different. They just gave that. They were happy to settle just for a place to kill their cattle. They didn't care about the price so much. Well, now they now they care about the price after two of those black swan events that you just mentioned. You know, the Tyson fire and the and the COVID disaster. You know, they're behind two hundred million dollars or more. Played the futures market, probably got in a lot deeper, and you know it it just all blew up. But really, honestly, whose fault is it? that those guys were never paid a price that they could live with on the cattle they were producing for Tyson in the Northwest. And then we're bringing all of these imports in from these South American countries, from the Australians, and there isn't any of that product that's paying the cost of production in those countries. I don't even think it pays the cost of shipping. And aren't imports up like year to date over last year, which was a record year for imports? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the shipping, you'd be, you'd be surprised how cheap the shipping is. It, you know, last time I checked when, when, uh, the, when the Australian beef put me out of the Chipotle accounts, uh, the freight on that beef from Australia was seven and a half cents a pound. So it's really cheap. It's cheap to ship it in, in, in these massive uh, ocean-going vessels. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, I get that. But the point I'm making is the people in Australia – our friends that produce the cattle in Australia are just getting slaughtered in the price they're getting offered by the big meat packers, JBS and Cargill in that country. And the same is true in Brazil with Marfrig and JBS just literally stealing the cattle from those South American producers. And, and, and so the only people winning are the middlemen, the middlemen of the, the big meat packers and the big retailers and food service companies. We've just got to break them up, and but they've got to stop the bleeding. They, they, Congress needs to jump in right now and do what we did 125 years ago and just tell them there's only a certain amount of margin that you're going to be allowed to make, and that's it. There are, you know, since you've broken the rules or there, is no, there are no rules anymore, uh, we've got to take control because we're simply not going to have anybody left on the land before this is over. I mean. We, know, and we can't we build. Wanna, we can't do, build small plants fast enough. To well, and if you did, you couldn't get market access. So the big fool, the big fool's game right now is people building or wanting to build plants and not having a market. But just say that you know because Tyson is, and JBS and Cargill are making a thousand dollars a head on their cattle, that you're not going to make that. In fact, you're going to go bankrupt <laughs> if you put if you build a small plant right now that. Could in, a, in, a, in an effort to try to compete with them, 
you are out of here. I mean, they will predatory price you out of the market. You will not sell a pound of meat to any of the big retailers. Micro community plants. It has to be small. It has to meet the needs of the community and it has to sell direct to the end consumer. That's the only way that works. But what I see, Brian, that troubles me a lot is this new plant up in North Platte, Nebraska. You know, they're talking about, you know, killing X number of animals a day. But really what it is, is is a mini version of a big plant. Yeah. And when you look at the problems of the big plant with refugee workers, you know, shoulder to shoulder, uh, they steal the cattle uh, to begin with. Uh, they, they externalize so many of their costs that they should be paying their workers. They degrade the environment with those big slaughter facilities. And to build a mini version of that in North Platte, Nebraska, or anywhere else is wrong. We need to be building more plants that are more local, regional, that have more direct access to the consumer, but pay workers a living wage. Don't externalize costs. Handle your slaughter waste responsibly. You know, kill cattle closer to where they are. I mean, one of the big problems with the big plants is they're hauling these cattle so far, and the producer has to pay the freight. And, and so they just lose at every single turn. And to build many versions of those is a serious mistake. Now, we've seen some of that occur where uh, Walmart made a deal with Creekstone. And you remember back when it was Future Beef. And <laughs> yeah. it lost 250 or $300 million when its retail partner Safeway jumped ship. And, and so that plant went through all kinds of financial disasters, ended up owned by a bank out of Nova Scotia, and, and then, you know, several operations uh, later, we've got it now sold to the Japanese, who then partnered with Walmart. So they've got a retail partner. Creekstone's got a retail partner. And that's one of those smaller plants. It's sort of a mini version of a big plant. But that's one of those plants that has got a retail partner that's probably going to make it okay for them. Plus, they've got the the exports they can go into Japan with at those premium prices. It, it, and, and I mean, so, is it is it a partner or is it Walmart's own captive supply or Walmart's? Well, it, it's Walmart's version of captive supply and and supply chain management. And so Walmart goes in and they contract with Creekstone to slaughter cattle, and they're good Angus cattle. And then those those carcasses or those boxes or whatever they are are going to go to Alabama to that new plant that Walmart just built for, for value added. And, and so now they've got their own little supply chain that is just extractive as anybody else's. They're, they're not paying enough for the cattle. They're not paying the workers enough. It's a, it's a dangerous work environment. It, it's just a mini version of the big guys. And, and so just to have a lot more people pile in with these smaller plants that are going to be just like the big guys except smaller, it's just going to be a whole lot more bankruptcies. We haven't fixed a damn thing. We have not fixed market access, free, open, and competitive markets but that, that we have to have if we're going to restore any kind of level of income that's, that's livable at the farm and ranch gate and, re, and restore these rural communities back to some level of existence that, they, you know, that can sustain itself. So, so other, other than micro micro-scale processing plants, you know, what are, what are some things that, you know, the people that are going to listen to this can do uh, to help spur action? Like get on the phone, call your rep, call your senators. Uh, 
you know, Brian, that's what we've been doing for 30 years uh, to a deaf ear. You know, we've, we've tried everything. We, we've, we've litigated, which we've never won. We've legislated, we won, and then lose in rulemaking. So we've, in the end, we never win. We've never won in, in legislation. For example, the, the mandatory price reporting, the confidentiality clause that was added to that just made secret all the preferential sweetheart deals that the captives of life yards are getting. You know, the very same kind of confidentiality uh, NCBA wanted for the, for the meeting in Phoenix. And, and, and so we're in way worse shape than we've ever been. We've lost at every single turn. And so my, my solution is to build an alternative pathway to the consumer, which I've been doing now for 21 years and, and really been at this whole fight for 30 years. And, and so building that, you know, alternative food pathway to the consumer is what I have done, but man, it is hard and nobody should have to do that to be able to sell what they produce on our farms and ranches. They should have a marketplace that rewards them fairly based on actual supply and demand that hasn't happened. So I think, it, what, it, I think and what it's we a living wage. It, it's a living yeah. wage. And yeah, that's, it's, that's it's really what gets me right now is you've got all these people that are been demanding a living wage, living wage for all. Right. But perversely, the higher minimum wage goes, the more money that's going to take out of our pockets and the harder it's going to be for us to make a living, the harder it's going to be for us to hire any labor. Brian, you're absolutely right. And, and that's why I've said for a long time, until you have an economy that's fair, markets that are competitive and open, you can't be mandating these things because Walmart, all they have to do to pay the minimum wage is to pay less to their suppliers, less to the cattle that are produced for their Creekstone partnership. Uh, they just simply take the course of least resistance because one thing you can damn well bet is they're not going to take less, less executive compensation. <clears throat> they're not going to lower the Walton family's return on their investment. They are going to take it out of the course of least resistance and that is labor, uh, unless you raise the, the minimum wage, and it's going to be their suppliers of raw materials and, and products into those Walmart stores. And so, and, and so we just keep losing and losing and losing until we break up the abusive market power. That's what we have to do. And so I think we have to get behind the, the, <clears throat> the monopoly movement, the anti-monopoly movement in Washington, and it's growing big. I mean, Klobuchar just uh, wrote a book and just, I just finished reading it. Unfortunately, it doesn't mention, you know, the Cowboys. It doesn't mention the meat packers at all. It does mention monopolies, a lot of monopolies. Well, so she's on board. I, you know, she's going to be an easy one to jump on, onto a, a bill to break up or, or some sort of policy to break up the, this monopoly power. And then we've got Elizabeth Warren. We've got Cory Booker. We've got Mike Lee. We've got a bunch of these leaders now that are in both parties. Thomas that Massey. Know, exactly. That no monopolies are bad. And I'm just saying, let's put it to them. That's all we can do right now. We can't litigate and win because the judges are all those rig and appointee, D-reg type judges that simply don't believe in antitrust law enforcement. If Congress has to rewrite some of these laws, they have to do it and they have to do it right now. So I think we're in a pretty good position now to really make some change. And, of course, the big meat packers weekly remind us of how 
urgent that is. They will. <laughs> it is amazing how how brazen they've become, and and so and then what's really crazy is is how much money Tyson makes even after paying all of these settlement agreements for cheating in the market, for fixing the price of chicken and pork and, you know, all kinds of settlements. If you, if you go to their SEC reporting, I mean, it's all in there. I mean, the hundreds of millions of dollars that they're, they're paying out in these settlement agreements, which it, this, is, this is not where the they Hundreds of guilty. millions of dollars is peanuts. That's right. But it's not where they pled guilty to anything. See, so we, we haven't fixed anything. I mean, they'll they pay a fine said, well, in lieu in, of prosecution and lieu of a plea. So they don't ever have to have any evidence discovery in court and they don't admit any guilt. And it's just a fine to the government. But the really right, and, perverse thing is every time Tyson, JBS, Marfrig, Smithfield has to pay a fine, whose pocket does it come out of? comes right out of the producer's pocket because that's the, that's the course of least resistance. So, so the government's going to fine them for screwing the producer, and then the producer pays the fine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like the guy, uh, JBS was stealing those cattle from that guy in Nebraska, and you know, they find, him, they find uh, JBS $50,000. I mean, they, they should have lost their grant of inspection for sure with USDA. That plant should not have been able to operate anymore under their ownership. If you not got the, caught stealing the, cattle, you'd probably get put out of business. Absolutely would. I'd lose my grant of inspection, which would mean I'd be out of business. Absolutely, that was that is what happened. But we give a pass to the corporations, uh, so so they they plead. You know, they, they don't even have to plead. They 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 work out a settlement agreement, and this is where law enforcement has failed us. And there was a really good book written here a few years ago called The Chicken Chick Club, and basically uh, uh, the question was asked to these to these uh, state attorneys general in a meeting. You know, how many of you? have ever lost a case, you know, uh, you know, in regards to mostly antitrust work. And of course, uh, there were some hands that went up in the room that they had never lost a case. And, and so, uh, the, the, the statement was made, well, you are then members of the chicken shit club because you didn't file cases where you should have filed cases. You only took slam dunks that you knew you couldn't lose. And so you've failed as law enforcers to hold this, you know, these, these monopolies and these bad actors accountable. But they're probably, that was a prosecution rate is probably a performance metric on their evaluation sheet. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, In fact, it was James Comey in this book that was asking the question. And he was the one that said, James Comey, you know, former attorney general. Uh, and he's the one that said, you're a member of the Chicken Chick Club. In fact, you have done society no good. You have not done your job. Well, hello, you know, it's been since the 80s uh, since we really, you know, enforced any of these antitrust laws that should have protected the consumer and the producer. Well, now you just look at what's happening today with these packers, the way they're paying for cattle, and on the other hand, what they're selling meat for, Never before have, have the producers and the consumers both been been so damaged as they as they are today. Even back in 1921, when we passed the Packers and Stockyards Act, which was specifically passed to protect producers, 
And it just seems uh, like they're laughing it, at us. Yeah, they are. They are. They're laughing. They're slapping their leg. They are piling up money. And they're and, just know, laughing they at report, us. What they report is profits are highly, highly under understated because, you know, when you're making that kind of money, don't you want to trade in for a new Gulfstream jet, maybe two or three of them? <laughs> you know, don't you want to increase those executive salaries and returns to shareholders and all that other stuff that, you know, that maybe is going to reduce those reported profit numbers? So yeah, because you don't want to pay so taxes. Greedy. Don't want to look like greedy, right. greedy assholes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, but you know, we've got Farm Bureau and CBA that showed up with Nate to meet with some of them, some of the other cattle guys uh, in Phoenix the other day. Let's see where that goes. Uh, LMA was really the organizer of that gathering, but everybody right now is pushing the panic button. And the only reason NCBA is even at the table is because they are scared to death they are going to lose the checkoff. And of course, if I could wave my magic wand, that checkoff would be gone. Uh, by uh, by right now. What, let's over. talk. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. What what can we do? How do we get rid of the checkoff, Mike? Well, you got to have a you got to have a referendum, and and that is so hard now uh, because we because you it, it's really we've got so few producers left, uh, and so many producers now are you know are just so part of the problem. You know they they've become uh, you know suppliers on a captive basis or some relationship basis to where they're getting a little better price or better deal than their neighbor. And, and they're, they're probably not, they don't want to rock the boat. So it's going to be really hard. Uh, I think, uh, but we've got to try, we've got to try to get the petition. We've got to have the vote. And then if it's like the pork checkoff, that doesn't mean you necessarily win. Uh, was it Ann Benneman that, that reversed the pork vote and said, we're just not going to, you know, we're just not going to abide by it. And, and we couldn't eliminate the pork checkoff back when we had that vote. But what's it been 35 years since we've got a vote on, on the checkoff. It's I didn't vote for it. I didn't either. In fact, I was there in San Antonio and I wasn't even allowed in the room to vote. I never even got a card and, 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 but they knew who we were. And, and when I went up to get my, my voting card, they said, well, have you paid your fair share? Well, I paid my dues, you know, to NCBA or NCA at that time. I said, I've paid my dues. No, no, no. Have you paid your fair share? In other words, they wanted additional money from you if you own cattle, you know, whatever it was per head that you were, that they expected you to pay in. And so they sorted out those people that were even allowed in the room. And then the way they conducted the vote, they made you, they would, they made it very hard to vote against the checkoff merger because you would stand out like a sore thumb and everybody would shame you in the room. Like you're an idiot. You know, you shouldn't, you aren't very smart. You don't know what you're doing. And, and so there was that whole contingent in San Antonio that really never got to vote on the checkoff. That was absolutely against the the NCBA uh, forming and the NCAA and the checkoff merging. You know, we'd already seen what happened in Kansas with the Kansas Livestock Association. Oh, you know, don't. they captured the state checkoff and, and, you know, they just ran with it and funded that Kansas Livestock Association fully with big wages to, to executive, to the, to the executives. And, you know, they've been pretty quiet for the last factors. 18 months, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah, they have. They Suspiciously have. quiet for as much money as they're raking in. 
Yeah, and then we end up with Mike Beam as uh, as uh, Secretary of Agriculture in Kansas, uh, you know, former KLA. Now, how in the world did the governor make that mistake? And now we're coming out with the Kansas Department of Health and Environment wanting to make it easier to build, build hog factories closer to your house, closer to the school. You know, they're, they're trying to, you know, reduce the separation of the big factory pig farms or whatever, chicken farms, uh, you know, to where they, they can build them anywhere they want to build them. Why in the hell? And, and I doubt, uh, you know, a Mike Beam deal uh, as agriculture. He is a big promoter of industrial agriculture, which has done nothing but make Kansas more like Iowa. I mean, who wants to be like Iowa? You know, all they are is a big hog sewer. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's turned into a mining operation, you know, where the big companies just come in and just strip mine your, your, your country, you know, your, your state, your community. They strip mine the and soil. All they leave behind is the manure, you know. They strip mine the soil so, and then Dollar General shows up and we can go down that rabbit trail too. Yep, I've got we got a dollar <laughs> or a dollar store in St. Francis. It's, I mean, a new one, a brand new one, and it just so happens to be in the same location as the cafe was that went out of business. Yeah, last last we, time I we met, talked, I, they just opened that. Yeah, yeah. What a what a travesty! How could a city council even allow that to happen? I, but so often citizens don't know; they just don't understand. You know how bad that is for a community. To, to enter into that second-hand economy. I think people are starting to see. I, I know I've had several people um, that have communicated with me since your last episode came out, episode four, for those that haven't heard it. I've had several people communicate to me since then that they have stopped going to Dollar General and, Do- and Family Dollar and, I don't know, whatever the other, whatever right. other brand names they operate on. And right. But, but, you know, Brian, I was just thinking, how, would, how could you tax that company so they wouldn't come to your community? And, and I'm thinking, well, you could raise their taxes. You could, you could not pay them incentives. You could not give them land. Or, you know, you, can't, you wouldn't have to give them their ingress and egress, uh, you know, at the cost of the community with, with your highway construction and maybe a stoplight with an arrow. You can, you can eliminate all that kind of stuff. But here's the problem with, with the dollar stores is much of what they sell, they don't pay anything for. It's kind of like that waste stream that comes out of the big box stores, the produce stream that the, that the big box stores give it away and get the tax deduction that gives them the same kind of margins that they would have had had they sold it at the retail level. And so they, we've got to go after that tax that tax benefit in giving food away. So the, so the dollar stores come to town and they're selling something basically that they haven't even paid for. Or if they did, it was, you know, it was at fire sale prices at very much reduced prices. And so even if you put a 50% tax on a dollar store, it wouldn't be nearly enough to offset their advantage over local retailers. I mean, you just honestly got to ban them. You've got to say no. That's an unfair, that is an unfair business structure that will not allow people playing fairly to survive. And, and, and the problem here is that we've got these big box stores, these massive companies like Walmart that have this enormous waste stream of, of product that comes out of their stores. Maybe it 
maybe it aged out. Maybe it's past its sell-by date. Maybe it's a company that went broke. Uh, or maybe there was a truck on its way somewhere and it rolled over in the ditch. That's the kind of stuff that ends up in these dollar stores. And for us to support that economy is, is a travesty uh, to, to the overall economy, but in particular the small communities where those dollar stores are located. But I think to, to, to really address it, you got to break up the big box model. You've got to tell the Walton family that enough is enough, and you've got to break them up. So how do we do that? Well, it takes antitrust. It takes government. It takes a government to to address the power of a big corporation. And I think I think it's important that we also need to say or I need to say that, you know, if if you don't want to support that, quit spending your dollars there. If you don't like that and don't like the effects that 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 those businesses have enough. You know, that's like, you know, talking to a Walmart shopper, trying to convince them not to shop at Walmart is like trying to convince somebody to not order their steak well done. It's like trying to get a vegan to eat meat. It is not going to happen. It's got to, it's got to come from government, making the markets fair, antitrust law enforcement. Man, there's a, there's a bunch of good folks. Zephyr Teach Out, uh, Barry Lynn, you know, uh, Amy Klobuchar, you know, we, we've got Monopoly Suck. I mean, there are some really good books, and they've got the recipe and the formula in them on exactly how to go about this. Now what we've got to do is get Congress to enact the, 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 the new laws and the rules to where we can make that happen. Because we, we, it, is, it is a national security issue to lose your ability to feed yourself. And, and we, we lost that 20 years ago. And it's time to rebuild it. And, and you know, Brian, we, we talk about what we can do. And, and I talk about rebuilding the food system. And I, and I like to end up with that public market that's owned by the public to where we can have all this food hub stuff going on in this public market. That is as important of infrastructure, more important infrastructure than bridges and highways. It's the pathway from the farm to the table. Yes, And that is the most important infrastructure that we can possibly build because the farm and the ranch is where wealth is created. If we move our wealth creators off of their land, we aren't going to have the goose anymore that laid the golden egg. It's going to be gone. Additionally, you're not going to have the steward that took care of that environment, that took care of that grass, that rotationally grazed and sequestered carbon and kept streams clean. That person goes away and their offspring, those children that grew up on that place are never going to have the opportunity to come back. Bill Gates will own the land and you will be driving a tractor and a spray rig op- uh, operation for Bill Gates. Now that is not an agriculture that I will participate in. And I guarantee you my kids and my grandkids won't participate in it. Bill Gates there isn't going to have people in his tractors. <laughs> He's going to have them. There will be There'll be people in those tractors, and and they'll be those kids that go to our land-grant universities like K-State, Colorado State, Oklahoma State, that have been taught that industrial agriculture is the way we're going to feed the world, and by God, get in that tractor because it's really fun to run that GPS. It's crop protection. Yeah, exactly. That's a weird, that's kind of a weird way to put it, isn't it? Crop protection. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As they poison the soil. 
Yeah, and yeah, feed more money into Bear Montano. That doesn't make sense. I'm in the crop That's protection right. industry. No, you're yeah, in the industry yeah. of death. You spray poison on a very large scale. That's right. That's right. So I so I see an economy, an agricultural and food economy, where a lot more things go through animals. Like a cow eats the grass, has a calf, and we eat meat. But it's done right. It's done to where the the country and the land gets better and better. So, you know, I, I want to see the CRP acres being grazed. But before we can do that, we've got to stop the imports and we've got to have competitive markets. Yes, sir. But, you know, what if we could what if we could graze in a in a well managed system twenty one million acres of CRP and give a bunch of young people a chance to get some land and, and to get in the cattle business. But don't do it until there's a market, because until then, it's nothing but a fool's game and a way to lose all your money, all your family and friends' money, all of grandma's money. You can't do it until we have a market. And I would argue we haven't had a market for 20 or 30 years. It's been a price. It's been a price that's been agreed upon by a cartel of big meat packers, retailers, and food service companies. Yep. So we got to kind of wrap up what we got to do. We got to keep pressure on our legislators, our senators, our reps in Washington and in your state house. We got to sign the petition. We got to, we got to try the referendum. We got to try it. And of course you got to shake the hand that feeds you. I think that's the most critical thing to bring more of the consumer food dollar share back to the producers. That's right. Building those bridges Rebuild and local regional connected. food systems. Rebuild those local regional food systems and where it's a direct connection and Tyson doesn't get to play. Yep. Yep. There's there's gotta be some change and I hope it's coming and I hope it's coming soon. Mike, my friend hey, is Brian, been... I don't I don't know uh, if, if we might mention that on my blog, MikeCalicrate.com. Go there and look at that Minnesota Farmers Union presentation I did where I, I lay that out, the idea of this alternative food system, which I've already done with Ranch Foods Direct. But if we could do that on a little larger scale, then the Packers, their their challenge of explaining why they have to make so much money would become much, much more difficult if more people just knew how many dollars they're stealing. So ch- have your folks check out that presentation of the Minnesota Farmers Union. I will, uh, I will try to find that and put that in the show notes. Today is Tuesday okay. and I'm going to try to, and I'm going to just go ahead and release this on Thursday because it's good. It's current and we got to keep talking about it. We got to keep, we got to get loud and we have to encourage others to get loud and, and encourage change in our food systems. I agree. Okay. Mike, my friend, it's been a pleasure. Thanks buddy. Hey Brian. Thanks for the opportunity, Brian. Talk to you later. Yep. Enjoy the rest of your day, sir. You too. Bye. Bye.